let's get into the neuroscience of anger, only here on the People Scientist Podcast. listening to The People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 109, where every week I arm us with some scientific information so we can all become a little bit smarter and healthier with every new episode. So how are you doing today? I hope that you're doing well, and thank you for inviting me into your day and letting me nerd out and share some information and interesting science with you. I understand that there are some new listeners to the podcast, so welcome to the People Scientist Army. Every once in a while, I like to reintroduce myself, so hello. I am Stephanie. I am a fellow and instructor at Mount Sinai Hospital in the Department of Neuroscience. I got my bachelor and master's degrees in human nutritional sciences, and then I wanted to learn more about the human body, so I got my PhD in physiology. And it was during my PhD that I realized our greatest hurdles to achieving great health is our behavior. Like, we often know what we have to do. We know we shouldn't smoke cigarettes. We know we shouldn't have five alcoholic beverages every day. We know that we should eat vegetables instead of donuts. But it's not that easy, is it? Well, the key to understanding that is our brain more specifically behavioral neuroscience. So for the last five years, I've been studying exactly that. I study how our brain impacts our choices and our behaviors and how foods and drugs can also affect our brain. So as a result, I like to talk about these topics that I have expertise in, topics that I've studied. I like to talk about nutrition and neuroscience on this podcast. And I try my best to give us practical information So at the end of the episode, we have some take-home messages that we can impart in our daily life. I believe that if we can understand the neuroscience behind the way we feel, then there's power in that. So today, going off of that topic, I I love studying the neuroscience behind our emotions. Like previously, I did episodes on the neuroscience of love, the neuroscience of jealousy, and even of cuteness. So today I'm talking about the neuroscience of anger. Let me tell you, this one might be one of my favorite episodes yet. It is really interesting to me. Like, why do we get angry? Why are some individuals more susceptible to quickly anger? Can we use neuroscience to help us manage our anger? I will answer all of these questions and more in today's episode. So, as we always do, Let's start off with some core takeaways. Our emotion of anger could be positive. 
and that it motivates us to change the status quo. Like, I'm angry that this is happening, so let's change that. But anger may lead to aggression, which in life or death situations may be a necessary response. But when not in life or death situations, anger may lead to low mood or abuse. Scientists have realized that some individuals who have had a traumatic life experience or even genetics may change the way our threat response brain regions work and therefore may increase our likelihood to quote unquote have a temper or as psychologists like to call it, have trait anger. But our genetics, our past, are not necessarily our destiny. So what can we do to help regulate our anger? Well, I give some neuroscience-based tips, such as changing what we focus upon, gaining attention control, as well as emotional control. Now, let's get into those details. Psychologists and neuroscientists think of emotions as serving a purpose, and that is to ensure our survival. For example, happiness is thought to encourage us to do things that could help us survive, like we are happy when we eat food or when we are around a supportive group of people. Fear, for example, is thought to help us avoid dangerous situations. So then scientists beg the question, Why does anger exist? Anger is thought to exist for a few reasons. One, it may exist in order to motivate us to change our behavior or our situation. For example, you're angry that your friend keeps getting mistreated by a mutual friend. So you decide to speak to that mutual friend so they can stop acting that way. Second, anger may exist in order for us to be protective of ourselves or others to induce aggression or dominance in order to ensure survival. That is the case in threats to our safety or livelihood. But as with any emotion, there can be extremes where, for example, anger is not a physiological response anymore, but rather a pathophysiological response where it can become harmful, where aggression is not helpful in the situation and that it could lead to abuse. Anger can be important and useful at times, When anger is expressed in a mild and constructive, non-hostile way, could lead to positive things like expressing important thoughts, addressing concerns, motivating us to change the situation for a better outcome. Like saying, this is not acceptable, I'm angry this happened, something has to change. But if anger is expressed in an intense, hostile, or aggressive way, it could lead to violence, abuse, relationship issues, psychological disturbances, low mood, etc., As such, scientists have wanted to study anger for its positive and negative aspects. Psychologists have identified two stages or states of anger. It's called state anger or trait anger. State anger is something we have all felt. It is a quick emotional reaction that ranges from mild irritation all the way to intense fury and rage. Even if we are the most laid-back, positive, optimistic people, we can be put in a situation where we all of a sudden feel angry. That's normal. Now by contrast, trait anger is a personality characteristic. We would call that as someone with having a temper. It reflects the person's chronic tendency to experience anger frequently with high intensity and a long duration. 
Now, there are psychological tests that that psychologists use to assess if someone has a temper or trait anger. I tried to access this questionnaire for us so that we could go through some of the questions, but this questionnaire is actually copywritten and protected. But I was able to find a couple example questions that they ask. For example, to, to determine if we have trait anger or temper, let's think on the following. How likely are we to think these things or feel this way? I feel infuriated when I do a good job, but get a poor evaluation. Or when I get frustrated, I feel like hitting something or someone. It enrages me when someone says they are going to do something and they don't do it. I can't control my anger when I see others get rewarded for working less than I do. If we answer yes, likely, to these statements, it may indicate trait anger or having a temper. Trait anger consistently predicts state anger and aggressive behavior in everyday life. For instance, anger often comes out when people drive. So people with a temper tend to report feeling angry when they're driving, aggressive when driving, and they tend to be in more car accidents than people that have lower scores of trait anger. Now, let's talk about individuals that are more prone to anger or individuals that may have tempers, so to speak. Is this something that they inherited? Something of a result of their childhood or life events? Let's dig into that. Now, things in our life experience, such as exposure to extreme threats, might increase the responsiveness of the brain regions involved in threat response and aggression, such as certain parts of our amygdala, mid-hypothalamus, and periaqueductal gray. This hyper-responsiveness of these threat brain regions might lead people being quick to anger and more likely to have aggression. For example, if someone went through a very traumatic experience, such as veterans of war, these brain regions that respond to threats might have adapted to become even more responsive and active as a result of this experience. Their brain is thinking that it needs to be more responsive to threats now by becoming more sensitive to the outside environment and to be more readily available to respond with aggression so that they can ensure survival. The brain is thinking, hey, this threat could happen again, and you need to be ready for it, and you need to be ready to act with aggression. This is thought to be one potential contributing factor to PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, not everyone develops this hyper-responsiveness of these brain regions with traumatic life experience. That in itself is a completely separate area of research that scientists believe could be due to genetics and or the presence of adequate coping mechanisms at the time of the traumatic event. So this begs the question, is having a temper something that we can inherit? Is it even genetic? Scientists think in part, yes, The brain system that is most implicated in trait anger or having a temper is the approach system, it's called. This is a motivational system that provides the impulse to go toward a threat, to fight it, to exude dominance. This system competes with the avoidance system, which provides the motivational impulse to go away or to run from the event, essentially a fight-or-flight system, so to speak. So individuals that tend to have 
more of that approach response as opposed to an avoidance response may be more likely to exhibit feelings of aggression or anger or having a temper. Now, it is thought that our genetics may particularly play a role in our trait anger if a temper is observed very early on in young childhood, before these life experiences can come into play. Yalilia Klein and colleagues last year published in the journal Neuroscience and Biobehavioral Reviews some genes that seem to be associated with trait anger. Interestingly, many of the genes that are involved in important neurotransmitters in our brain that regulate our positive mood, like serotonin and dopamine, were associated with trait anger. Genes involved in energy production, like ATP. In our genes, we might have slight variations that could ultimately change our behavior and our mood. Now, genetics only account for a portion of our behavior in this manner. Neuroscientists like to say that our genetics only play somewhat of a role, that our genetics are not our destiny, but the rest is up to us if we are willing to change and put in the effort. Like, let me give you an example. Some people can lift weights and put on muscle mass very easily. Some people can diet and lose weight very easily, whereas others may work out relentlessly with very little results. Now, some of that can be explained by genetics. But if we work hard enough, we can likely still get to a similar outcome as those individuals. One of my favorite movie quotes, if not my absolute favorite movie quote, is from the movie Bridesmaids, where the character Megan says, Don't blame the world for your problems. You are your problem, but you are also your solution. I felt like that was such a powerful quote. We all have things working against us, whether that be our genetics, our past, our present. The question is, are we willing to put in the effort to fight against our odds? If we have a higher risk of having a temper because of our past or because of our genetics, I hope we can appreciate that and let that information empower us. As I like to say, there is power in understanding the neuroscience behind why we feel the way we do. So we can take this information, recognize that some of how we feel may not be our fault, but then move forward and work toward being a better version of us. So I hope our answer is yes. So now you might be saying, okay, Stephanie, I have a temper, or I know someone who does. What do we do to manage it? Well, let me tell you. Scientists have studied individuals with high trait anger, or commonly called having a temper, to try to understand better what may contribute to them feeling this way. Scientists have realized that those with a temper tend to have bias in how they take in and process information, meaning that they tend to view the world and interpret what they see in a hostile, negative manner. Their perspective tends to be on the negative side, for example, someone with high trait anger or a temper may selectively see the negativity in situations and retell a situation with negative words like, that stupid person did this and that. So if you have heard, you have to change your perspective. This advice is indeed rooted in psychology. If we try to reframe our perspective and try to see the good or neutrality in a situation rather than the negativity, this can impact the story we tell ourselves. 
and how we take in information. Let me give an analogy that my brother once shared with me. He said, imagine you got a new car. Let's say it's a bright yellow car. You're very excited about it. Now that you are driving around in your new yellow car, you're starting to notice all the other yellow cars on the road. So now you're thinking more about the presence of yellow cars. You're noticing that there's more on the road, noticing more than you did before. Now, prior to owning this car, you never took the time to notice the yellow cars nor appreciated how many there were on the road. Likewise, if we start to focus on the positivity in our life, we're likely to start seeing more positivity and good things around us. This will change our perspective, our focus, and the information that we take in. We can also try to reframe how we process that information that we take in. So instead of using negative or rude or insulting words to describe what we see, we can try to retell the story in a neutral or even positive light. This can take time. It takes effort to try to see the good in situations. But eventually, it's all about changing our perspective from a negative one to even a neutral one. This is one of the ways psychologists start in training individuals to lower their trait anger. It's also been appreciated by scientists that anger can narrow our attentional scope meaning that anger causes us to focus upon the source of our frustration, leading to us ruminating on those negative thoughts. The lack of control to rid our mind of these thoughts is also another characteristic of someone with trait anger. This is often due to a lack of effort or a lack of attentional control, meaning the difficulty in controlling what we give our attention to. Kelly in Psychological Sciences in 2013 described using fMRI imaging of the brain that there appears to be some commonalities in individuals with a temper, and that they tend to have greater left frontal cortical activity that is associated with aggression. In contrast, in those with control over their, over their emotions that lack trait anger, they tend to have greater right frontal cortical activity that is associated with their ability to inhibit their anger responses. So how might we improve our attention control, our ability to forget the things upsetting us or to stop thinking about the things that make us angry? Well, we have to train ourselves to focus on specific things. Like, are we the type of person that watches TV and at the same time scrolls through our phone and messages our friends, among other things, all at the same time? Do we have the ability to sit down and read a book for more than 20 minutes? Can we sit quietly in a room and focus on just our breathing for even just a minute? How did you answer these questions? Because me personally, as of late, I find it very difficult to sit down and read a book for more than 20 minutes because I have so many things pulling at my attention. I have difficulty sitting quietly and just focusing on my breathing, which essentially is meditation. Back in episode 71, I talk about the neuroscience of meditation. It's a really great episode if you haven't given it a listen yet. In clinical trials where participants started doing meditative practice at least four times per week for at least 45 minutes per session, participants noted significant improvements in their attention control and measures of mental health. And I go into detail of those specific studies in episode 71. So even sitting down and reading a book 
can force us to concentrate on something. Now, things like TV, our phones, and computers, they pull our attention to so many different changing, stimulating things that it may cause our attention control to decrease because we're used to having things constantly changing, stimulating our brain. So the short answer is, if we want to improve our attention control, improve our ability to reduce our rumination on negative, angering things, we can try to increase our attention control with things like meditation or reading. Essentially anything that will force us to focus on one thing for an extended period of time. Essentially the goal is for us to say, I want to stop thinking about this negative, angering thing to have the ability to do so. That's attention control. Now, how about another anger management strategy? This is called affect labeling. And this is honestly one of the coolest, most practical things I have learned while doing all 109 episodes of this podcast. There is so much evidence that exists. Like I'm talking hundreds of studies that show that the logical part of our brain can inhibit the emotional reactive part of our brain. So the more logical we think, the less emotionally reactive we may be. So our prefrontal cortex of our brain, that's our higher order brain region. It is highly developed in humans versus all other species. It is partially what sets us apart from other animals. And the prefrontal cortex is responsible for that higher order thinking, like decision-making, memorization, planning, fluid intelligence, like taking in information and creating new information from that. This higher order brain region, the prefrontal cortex, has the ability to inhibit our emotional reactive brain regions like the amygdala. So the more logical approach we take to something, the more likely we can reduce our emotional reactions. And I've talked of this before in past episodes, like, for example, in episode 57 called The Power of Emotional Intelligence. I go into more detail and go into the scientific papers on that topic. Like I said, there have been hundreds of clinical studies where participants have the blood flow in their brain measured using a technique called fMRI or functional magnetic resonance imaging. fMRI will give us insight into what brain regions are being recruited in response to certain things, like when we are angry about something. Well, the scientists would induce certain emotions in the participants, like happiness or anger, and would scan their brains to see which brain regions would be recruited. A lot of the time, brain regions like the amygdala, the mid-hypothalamus, and the periaqueductal gray would be recruited. Then in a lot of the studies, the scientists further tried a technique called affect labeling. This is a great psychological technique. Essentially, affect labeling brings on board our logical decision-making part of our brain. Our prefrontal cortex, which can inhibit our more emotional reactive brain regions. So affect labeling means we stop and we think. What emotion am I feeling right now? Then once that specific emotion has been identified, like, I feel jealous, I feel aggressive. Next, we can ask, why do I feel this way? These questions are intended to help us reduce the activity of our emotional reactive brain regions in order to help us gain control of those emotions. But what was super interesting in these studies is that Affect labeling reduced the power of the negative emotions, but actually heightened the positive emotions. So, for example, if we are feeling happy or excited about something and we stop and we think, I feel happy 
and I feel happy because, it actually may lead us to feeling even happier. So this is another common anger management strategy rooted in neuroscience for us to stop that initial reactive response of aggression to specifically label how we are feeling in that moment and then to ask why. Now that certainly takes practice to override that initial reactive response. It is as though we have to train ourselves to a new reactive response, like take a deep breath, close our eyes, and think what emotion am I feeling right now and why. It is possible to condition ourselves to learn this response. It just takes time and effort. So that is it for today's episode, my people scientist army, the neuroscience of anger. Anger is an emotion that has the potential to be positive because it can be very motivating. It may encourage us to change the status quo, to make improvements to ourselves or to the people or things around us. But anger also has the potential to lead to aggression or sadly abuse. This type of anger is more common in individuals with trait anger. And through psychological profiling, psychologists have realized that individuals who have high scores of trait anger, or quote-unquote those who have a temper, are more likely to view the world in a negative way. They're more likely to focus upon negativity and to retell their stories using negative words. They may also be more likely to, likely to have lower attention control, lower emotional control, and more likely to ruminate on negative angering things. Now, genetics and life history may increase the risk of someone having a temper, but our past and our genetics are not necessarily our destiny. That if we put in the time and effort, we can change our outcome. So here are some neuroscience-based tips to help us manage our anger. Number one, we can train ourselves to see the positivity in situations. The more we focus on it, the more positivity we will see. This will change the type of information we take in. When we tell our stories, let's use more neutral or positive words. Let's change up the story we tell ourselves. Number two, attention control. Let's train ourselves to have better focus through techniques like meditation so that we can become stronger in our ability to choose what we give our attention to, like reducing our rumination on negative, angering things. Number three, affect labeling. In the moment when we are quick to anger, let's train ourselves to take a deep breath and ask, what emotion am I feeling? And really think about it. Don't just say I'm angry. Try to be very specific. Say I feel really aggressive or I feel jealous. I feel anxious, etc. Then ask yourself exactly why you feel this way. Again, be very specific. The more specific, the more likely it's going to activate that logical thinking part of our brain. Then the more likely it's going to inhibit that emotional reactive part of our brain. Because thinking logically in this way will bring on board that prefrontal cortex part of our brain, which is going to counteract the emotionally reactive part of our brain like the amygdala. This will help us gain emotional control. And this is rooted in hundreds of psychological clinical trials. So I hope that this episode was interesting and useful for all of you. Even if this information helps just one of you listening right now, then to me it was 
absolutely worth it. If you want to see some of the papers that I cite in this week's episode, follow me on social media as I like to post the abstracts to some of these papers. If you by chance want to buy me a coffee to say thank you for the episode, then you can do so via the information in the description box below, like via Venmo or Patreon. I hope that you all have an awesome and healthy week, and I look forward to meeting you all back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.